When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Sportico's Football Stories podcast, the show where we explore the stories that surround, that intertwine with the sport, told by people of many walks of life. And my name is Ander Iteralde. And I'm Craig Hansen. And on today's episode, we are going to be speaking with Martin O'Connor, a former player and present man of many football trades, a current scout at Bristol City. But on this occasion, we are going to be going down beautiful memory lane. Today, we're submerging ourselves in the club Martin spent the majority of his career with, and that is Birmingham City, where he played almost 200 games and even became club captain. Yes, Ander, we're so happy to have Martin here with us. We'll get into that famous League Cup final against Liverpool, what it was like to play under Trevor Francis, the heartbreak of missing out on promotion, and so much more today on the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. Martin O'Connor, how's it going? It's, I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm hot, but I'm okay. Okay. Me too. It's very hot over here. How is it in Chicago? Yeah. Very, very hot. Thankfully, in the morning, in my side of the house, it's still kind of cool. But then, it, towards the afternoon, evening, it gets it gets uh, kind of warm. But yeah, no, it's um, uh, yeah, it's it's quite warm these days. Like yeah, um, every, every day, all day. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're used to it. We're not used yeah. to it over here. Yeah, no, gone. quite used to it. Yeah, summers here <laughs> get really true, yeah. yeah, summers here get really well, intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but um, yeah, in, in, in England now, now it gets hot. Uh, yeah. Here it jumps from cold to hot. Like there's very, there's not a lot of like um, autumn and um, and spring. You just kind of jump from from winter to summer, pretty extremely. But yeah, no, it's uh, still still fun weather and enjoyable, and not, nonetheless. And thankfully, everywhere's air conditioned this time of year. So yeah, that that helps. Oh, I wish I had air conditioning right now. Have you got air conditioning over there, Martin? To be fair, I've got my fan on. I've got a fan blowing on me. Obviously, my hair's all over the place with the fan light. But yeah, yeah, just cool me down. Yeah. Just to cool me down. No, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, before we jump more directly into Birmingham City and your time playing with them, you're someone with a fascinating career and one that got started kind of late in football terms over the age of 20 while playing in non-league football and then made the jump straight to the Premier League in 1992 with Crystal Palace. How do you reflect on your football beginning, so to speak? Um... When I look back, um, I was very fortunate to, to be a professional footballer at that age. Um, obviously, I thought I missed the boat. Um, as a youth youth player in, in Walsall, um, I wasn't really that bothered about being a professional footballer. That sounds really bad, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, when the chance came for me to go and progress and play at various levels, 
um, locally. I did that. Um, and then I got spotted by a, an ex-professional footballer um, out West Bromwich Albion and Birmingham, um, Bobby Hope, who took me to a, a really good non-league side. Um, and I trialled there, did well. Um, I, signed, I signed a two-year contract with, with them, Bromsgrove Rovers. And within six months, really, um, the manager had pulled me and said, look, there's a few clubs looking at you already. Um, but because it, it was like a, a, a slow process for me, I just wanted to um, concrete my position at that club. So I, I stayed there for the, the first year, um, got player of the season, blah, blah, blah. And the second year, a few people had said to me that, you know, you, you're good enough if, you, if your head's right and your mind's right um, to go and, and play higher football. So that second year was sort of like the, the birth of my intelligent Martino kind of phase, if you like, because... You know, when when you're 18, 19, you've got a bit of money in your pocket from my work and from playing football and all your mates going out on Friday night and Saturday night and you have to stop in because you've got a game on Saturday. So, yeah, I sort of grew up and luckily for me, I got a break at Crystal Palace. Um, I went on trial at Derby, Cambridge, Bournemouth um, and Crystal Palace came into me. It was just in the Premier League at that, at that time. So um, all the people around me advised me to go to the highest club I could, which was Crystal Palace. And that's what I did. And as Ander mentioned, you had a fascinating career as a player and a coach before and after Birmingham City. But could you tell us a little bit about the process of how you got in the door at Birmingham? How did that kind of signing take place and what was it like to get started there? Right. OK, so um, my time at, at Palace was fantastic for me. Um, it grounded me, got me um, fit, got me in, in the, the right professional frame of mind. So luckily I got a um, first year just to, just to bed myself in. I went on loan to Walsall, did really well on loan, went back to Palace, tried to fight for my place. There were some really top international players at Palace at the time, so it was difficult for me to break into the first team. So I, I got a permanent move to Walsall. Um, and again, luckily for me, um, you know, I was playing at a good standard, at a good club, and I got noticed quite a lot. There was a few um, media story saying I was going to this club and that club and um, at the time Barry Fry was manager of Birmingham um, and I went and spoke to Barry um, and the deal was so sorted with Walsall um, but we just couldn't agree little bits of the contract that I needed at, at Birmingham and unfortunately we didn't sign um, so I stayed at Walsall um, and in that summer Barry moved on from Birmingham City, went to Peterborough United, um, he brought me um, a tribunal set fee um, and I was there four months and unfortunately for, for Peterborough and for Barry um, the club was in a bit of a turmoil financially and because he was good friends with the owners of Birmingham City at the time Sullivan and, and Gold and Karen Brady um, he sort of sold his best asset in his terms if you know about Fry, that's he's a salesman so his best asset was Martin O'Connor um, and I remember going down to see um, Graham Sunnis, who was manager at Southampton at the time, and basically bad found me and said, look, you ain't going, you're going to Birmingham, they're going to offer cash. Um, and I went to speak to Trevor, um, great for me, big club back home in the Midlands. Um, yeah, and I, I come back to, to, to Birmingham, and from then, that six years out of Birmingham was fantastic for me. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, it's it's very, it's very again very interesting how how your whole whole trajectory un, unfolded and, and whatnot. And and you mentioned there a few uh, figures, uh, pretty legendary figures in, in English football, um, like Barry Fry and also Trevor Francis, who you played under at Birmingham City after um, securing your um, transfer there, your move there. Um, how was it playing for Trevor Francis as a player? Well, if you're not used to Birmingham, Trevor Francis is an absolute legend. First million playing football in England. Um, he started his career at Birmingham as a young boy, Was played really well, was fantastic, moved on. And then he come back to manage. Um, and in the summer before I left, when I started to, for Peterborough, you know, he brought some big names to the club. Um, Gary Ablett, Steve Bruce, Paul Furlong, um, Barry Horn, Mike Newell, all big names in English football and he wanted to obviously get the lead the team into the into the Premier League at the time. And um, I remember going to speak to him, and they were floundering um, with all these big names and big signings and money being splashed in the summer. They were still floundering. They wasn't really pushing. The, there was there wasn't pushing the top half of the table. And he, he just says, "Look, I've seen you. You know, he's watched me play. He's got scouting reports, and he just wanted me to do what I was doing at Walsall, and then when I was doing at Peterborough to go in and." Um, and be and play like that for Blues. And I, when I went there, the first week, um, it was it was quite frightening because on the on the Wednesday I'd played for Peter in a cup game, and on the Thursday I had a medical, and on the Friday I travelled. Medical was um, delayed, so I had to do a little bit left on the Friday morning. So then I met up with the, the Birmingham City players Friday evening at the hotel. Um, we was playing Norwich away. So my first real contact with the team, with the squad, with the coaching staff was at dinner on a Friday night before we played Norwich away. And um, to be fair, the gaffer had said, I'm starting. I'm going to start in the game. Um, although I'd, I was a bit fatigued, if I'm being honest, because we, we trained and played in the week. Um, I started um, and we won two when I scored the winner. Um, so my debut for Birmingham City was um, unbelievable and something that I look back on and think, wow, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you'd, you'd probably um, already got all of the kind of starstruck um, out of your system, having played at Palace and all those big players and everything, but was there a little bit of you that was a little bit starstruck when you first came and worked under Trevor? Because like you said, he's such a legend at the club, and not only that, but two-time European Cup winner, I think, with Clough at Forest and played at Sampdoria. And I mean, what, what yeah. was it like when you first kind of started playing for him? Was it a bit, wow, this, this is a, a legend here? Well... I'll be honest with you, Craig, that the coaching staff he had, along with Trevor, you know, who was, who was a big name, you had Mick Mills, who captained England 70 times. You had Ian Bowie, who had won the European Cup twice. We had a, a fitness coach who had ran for Great Britain in the Olympics. So um, <laughs> we had, a, we had a, a goalkeeping coach who had won things with Aston Villa. So the, the, the coaching staff itself were like, wow, OK, you know, we're at a proper club now. Um, but to work with Trevor, for me, I think as a footballer, when... A manager buys you, um, he, he invests in you, he spends money on you. You've got to, he gives you trust to, to, to try and work hard for him. And, um, you know, he, I look back and probably the manager I've worked under because he brought me and then he made me captain as well of a, of a big club. Um, I've got to look back and think, yeah, he, he made a, a massive, he had a massive effect on my footballing career. But as, as a man, he was brilliant. You know, he used to train us on a Friday. And he still had, he still could go past us and score goals and things like that. So, um, as a as a man manager, he was he was great for me. Um, you knew I had a, probably had a big mouth, and he let me get on with it. But yeah, playing with all those players as well, Steve Bruce, captain of Man United, won medals after medals. Gary Ablett, 
um, was a fantastic pro and, and I learned a lot from the likes of Gary Ablett and Steve Bruce. Just a quick follow-up on that. So when you were working with Trevor as well, did he tell you any stories? Do you remember anything he might have told you about? Because you must have asked, like, what was it like playing with Forrest and winning the European yeah. Cup? Yeah. Italy as well. Did he well, say anything about playing in Italy as an Englishman? Because that wasn't that popular then to go and play. I mean, well, it's not that popular now, but there are only a yeah, few big well, examples like Keegan and him who went abroad. Well, at Forest, um, he was very laid back. Brian Clough, you know, they hardly trained. He just did five sides. Um, <laughs> and Brian Clough believed in their individual talent and ability. Um, and so that there wasn't much coaching. When he went to, to um, Italy, Graham Soonis was there at the time as well and Liam Braden, all these players. So he had sort of like a nucleus of English players, bass players who he knew and that settled him in. Um, and to be fair to Trevor, he likes that kind of lifestyle, the Italian lifestyle and Italian football. And, it, and he had a fa- fantastic career in Italy, came back and, and played for Scotland, uh, Glasgow Rangers. So um, I think when you're around those players, after a while, the sort of... Um, the, the thought of who they are and what they are sort of diminishes because they just become normal people and work people you work with. Okay, that's, mm-hmm. that's cool. That's fascinating. Yeah, and and you played with some very interesting players also that that time in Birmingham City at first, uh, and also the goal scorers who were named uh, the same: Paul, the two Pauls, Paul Devlin, Paul Furlong, and um, also Dele Adebola uh, later on. Um, like v- very good strikers for the time in Birmingham City and the championship in the second division, or in that and that time called Division One. Um, what, what memories do you have of playing with with those three guys, or any other of the players you you, you played with that, that really stand out in your mind? as really good players you got to play along with. Yeah. Well, again, you've got to give credit to the manager. He brought in a good squad of players and characters and personalities. Um, <clears throat> obviously, myself being... Um, after, obviously, Steve Bruce went and Gary Abbott came to the end of his career and Mark Newland, all the sort of bigger names went. It left Paul Furlong, who was a fantastic player, in my opinion, for, for Blues, did really well. Um, Paul Devlin's a, a die-hard Blues fan, so he had an allegiance... Um, uh, and a relationship with the fans. Delia had a bowler. Um, he, brought a, he paid a lot of money for for crew. It was awesome. The biggest, softest man you'd ever you'd ever want to meet. So as a, as a team, as a squad, we had a good squad. Um, we argued, we fought. Um, but on on a, on a Saturday or a Tuesday night when we played, we always stuck together. And if you look at the, the record, you know we we got so close on so many occasions at, at Birmingham City to just get over that line. We just couldn't quite do it. Yeah. So. I think when you look at it, you know, we always used to say, if you're playing Birmingham City, you know you've been in a game. And that was our sort of mentality, that every team who played us knew they'd been in a game. So, and that that was a a fantastic um, sort of mantra to have going into every game. Absolutely. You finished 10th, 7th, 4th, 5th, and 5th, and 5th again when you finally got got the promotion. Like you were there like every single year and finally were able to break through. Well, that's the the next question I wanted to ask you, Martin, was during those six years there, you had a lot of playoff appearances, a lot of really devastating near misses. I think there was two penalty shootouts, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah one with Barnsley, 5-2. Oh, no, sorry, yeah, it was, was um, there's a Barnsley one here, I think, no? And Watford. Yeah, we lost to Barnsley, other two legs, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah not up in, sorry, yeah, on aggregate. And then the, the Watford penalty shootout. And then, um, and then Preston as well. But then yeah. finally, in the end, after I think you, yours and, and Trevor's time there seemed to kind of go almost at the exact same time, right? So he, he came in, then you came in, and then he left and you left more or less. Yeah. And um, it seems like they went up just after you left. Was there ever any kind of like, 
Um, because I, I think I saw you saying well, well, well you went up in your last season t- together, right? Correct. Well, no, yeah. I think did did you did they, you they went up, but you just went yeah. You Blues, just missed it, Blues went up in the in the playoffs um, against Norwich, um, and I'd left in the January. Oh, I'd come back okay. to a, oh, yeah. a local club also. I, yeah, I saw you say in an interview that you were um you're in Iron Napper and you were watching the game, and and in the end you were happy yeah. because obviously they'd gone up and you oh. loved the club and you'd stayed up with Warsaw. But were there any feelings yeah. of like? You know, residual kind of bitterness or sadness that just that it come not that about about the club or or the manager, but just how unlucky it was that how why did it have to be that just after you left, they yeah. finally went up the I think if you got regrets, then I think you, you're always going to look back and think, what if? I think the time against Watford, um, you know, the only thing if I'm looking back really that the Gafford brought me off against Watford and I could have took a penalty. Preston he brought me off, I could have took a penalty. So. The times when probably I should have stepped up, if you like, as a captain and, and as a player, he brought me off, he'd subbed me. Um, but, you know, when when you look back, you know, we were so close and we, Watford, we were close. Barnsley, we killed, we shot ourselves in the foot at home because we lost, I think it was 3-1, 4-1. We were yeah. dreadful, awful. Um, and Preston, you know, there's a, a lot of, been a lot of media talk about which end we're going to take the penalties and blah, blah, blah. But it was just on the day we wasn't good enough. Um, and then obviously Steve Bruce come in and, uh, me and him didn't see eye to eye on a few things, um, which happens in football. It happens in life, so you have to deal with it. I moved on. Luckily, um, I was, you know, given another challenge to try and keep Warsaw Football Club in the Championship, um, which luckily we did. The club took us away to to uh, Ayanapa for, you know, to say a thank you. Um, and obviously, Blues got to the playoff final against Norwich, and we watched it in a bar and we celebrated. All the Warsaw players celebrated because Blues had gone up. So um, I think. You know, you look back and think great times. I had six great years at Birmingham City, and I'm very, very proud of what I achieved there. I just a quick follow up on that. Really, I don't, I don't want you to throw Steve Bruce under the bus or anything. Obviously not, and I'm sure you never would. But could you? Because that surprised me that when you didn't see eye to eye and you ended up leaving because you'd played together as well. When he came in, you would have thought that I don't know it would have worked out just fine it, without yeah. being too too much detail. What sort of went wrong in terms of him wanting you to move on? Well, I mean, if you know me, Craig, I am quite um, opinionated and aggressive sometimes with it. <clears throat> and some of my that's how we like them didn't um, didn't sit well with, with the gaffer at the time. <coughs> Excuse me. And there was a few clubs came in for me. Bearing in mind, I've been at the club five six years. I captained the club. I felt I needed. I, I wanted. I deserved a bit more respect that than Steve Bruce gave me. Um, and a few clubs. Um, came in for me, Burnley, Preston, um, Forest, um, <clears throat> who were vying for playoff positions at, in the, at that time. And Steve, to be fair to him, and I probably would have done the same. I would have done the same, definitely. He wouldn't let me go to a club that were vying. It's going to be challenging Blues for the playoff position. So I understand that. Um, but he was he was so open and easy for me to go to Walsall, who were rock bottom of the championship. Um and, you know, I just thought, right, I'm OK, it's a challenge for me to go back to my hometown club, try and help keep them in the championship, but also to show Steve Bruce that, you know, when I think when, play, when managers don't want you, there's reasons why. And maybe he thought my best years had gone. I don't know. Um, maybe he thought I wasn't a championship player anymore. I don't know. But I helped, you know, and I'm proud to say I helped Walsall stay in the championship for another year. And um, I, I had another two years in the championship. So uh, maybe... You know, I say regrets and, and things like that. I think Steve 
wanted his own players in, which happens. Um, and I, ju- I just wasn't one of his players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, makes makes total sense. Um, and and in Birmingham City, uh, alongside all the missed out promotions, you had a very nice run again in Birmingham City. Like those years were a lot of fun, and I think even though you didn't get promoted uh, up until you, after you left, um, it's it's always fun for the fans, and it really creates a great atmosphere and a great like era and few years for the fans. That even though if you don't quite make it, you're playing good football, you're winning a lot, you're creating that that good atmosphere. And within all of that, you got to the League Cup final in 2001 where you came up against Liverpool yeah I mean I've got a yeah I've got a good relationship with the Blues fans and I think the Blues fans if you know them Anders it, it's if you work hard and you play hard and you give all your best on the pitch they'll, they'll love you uh, mm-hmm. and that's probably that's probably that's all I had really Just I just worked hard on the football pitch no real great technical ability and things like that so yeah and you know we, we got close so, so, so many times in the, in the league our league campaign but the league cup run was unbelievable, you know, to, to, to beat the teams we beat to get to that final was unbelievable. You know, we, we beat Newcastle at home. We went to Tottenham and beat Tottenham, I think it was 3-1 maybe. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, White Hart Lane, we, we played Ipswich who were in the Premier League at the time. We lost, I think we lost 1-0 at their place and then we, they come home, we came home to our St Andrews and um, Blues fans who were there will tell you that whole stadium was rocking. For 90 minutes, it was absolutely, it was rocking. And, and for you know, I defy any other any other team any other, at that time to come to St Andrews and probably beat us and turn us over. It wouldn't have happened because that night was our night. And then obviously to, 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 to get to Millennium Stadium and play Liverpool, who were, you know, Premier League, big stars, big club, um, fantastic history, was a, a dream come true for someone like me, who's my uncle supported Liverpool. So... To play Liverpool at you know the first ever final at Millennium Stadium because Wembley's been redeveloped yeah. um, was a fantastic achievement and something I'm proud of again. Yeah, and and just speaking of that pride, I mean, I think um, just to to put it into perspective, they'd won a couple of kind of what we call EFL trophies now, and they'd won some lower league titles, but that was the first proper cup final since they won the League Cup in 1963. So that so it was an unbelievable achievement. Just how much did it mean to you and your family especially being from the local area yeah um yeah i think when you get to these kind of you know there's not many players who can say we went to a final whether it's you win or lose you, you got to a final so i'm proud uh, and honored to, to have done that but when you get there and you look back in hindsight and think we should have won because of referee decisions it was a fantastic achievement for our club for birmingham city because as i, as I mentioned the teams we've knocked out with top, top players, international players. Um, and if you look at the game, um, you know, the first half, we didn't really have a kick of the ball. Liverpool were dominant. Robbie Feller scored a fantastic goal. Um, but second half and extra time, we were in the ascendancy. We were on top. Um, yes, got a, luckily we got a penalty just before the end of the game. Um, got it brought, brought equalised. And then the, the extra time, we should have had another penalty. So um, when you play against those kind of teams, you know, you... you you have to give it your best. You have to give it your all. all. And, you know, my family, all my family went there. Um, I'd lost my father the year before. So it was something that, you know, it's, it stuck with me that he, he would have been proud of me to lead out Birmingham to their first cup final in 30 years. Um, and we went there a couple of days before and we went around the stadium when it was quiet and there's nobody in there. And it's an awe-inspiring place. And when it's full to the brim of Liverpool fans, one end red, Blues fans, the other end blue, 
um, and your fa- your family and your friends in the stands and you're leading the team out. It's uh, something I'll never, ever forget. I heard you say um, before on another interview that back in the day when you were playing for Warsaw, you used to have to get 50 tickets a week for all your mates to come because there were two type business yeah. to buy tickets. How many tickets did <laughs> yeah. you have to get for that final for Blue? Well, I mean, again, <laughs> luckily, <laughs> we, we, I think we had to pay for some of the tickets, but my family and, and my, my two daughters and my wife, um, I think they got free tickets. But all my other friends and, and family, we had to pay. But, yeah, I mean, you'd pay for that kind of experience. And that, you know, it only happens once in a lifetime for me. So um, I think it was about 10 or 12 tickets I had to get. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for them, it was a fantastic experience for them to see their, you know, their, their husband, their dad on the football pitch with all these well-known stars. And I think it was been to so many countries. And I think there was 37 million people watched it and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, and I took part in that. So, yeah, it's something I'm really, really proud of. Really cool. Really cool. Yeah, and in that team, um, there was a lot of really good players, again, as we mentioned, first on, like, on your first few years, uh, Adebola and and such. Here you still had Adebola and, and a few other really interesting names, such as uh, Jeff uh, Horsfield, Michael Johnson, uh, Stan Lazaridis, um, Kevin Poole, who's, a, who's who's another another interesting name, Andrew Johnson as a striker. And you had um, something that really stands out uh, for the year 2000 and 2001 was a Brazilian guy named Marcelo. What, what, what can you tell us about, about him and yes. what, what he represented in, in that team? He stayed with Birmingham for um, a total of three years. Because didn't he go yeah, with well, you to Warsaw as well? Yeah, yeah, Marcelo. Tell us about, yeah, well, tell us about Marcelo. I've just, uh, about an hour ago, I've just had a message from Marcelo about oh. a player in Portugal. He's an agent now, about an oh, hour ago. So, Well, we played against Marcelo when he was at Sheffield United. Uh, and he was a handful. He was a handful at Sheffield United. So, obviously, Trevor, being Trevor, knew a good player uh, and signed him. And he did really well for us. But at the time, and as we had Jeff Forsfield in the team. We had Paul Devlin. We had Paul, yeah. Paul Furlong. Dele Adebala. So, it's hard for him to be consistently playing week in, week out. Um, but he was a fantastic player, great guy, unbelievable, really nice, nice fella. Um, and, you know, he was the archetypical squad player. You know, he never moaned or or, or, or argued about not being in the team and things like that. So at that time, Lazaridis, he was good friends with Stan Lazaridis. Um, and we had a good group of players. So Marcelo was one of those good, you know, in, in a good group of players. Yeah, and I, I can imagine. And, and a little really uh, like niche um, tie-in is that Marcelo played for Alaves, who would be another of the teams Liverpool would be would beat in that season to get like the treble of the of the UEFA, UEFA Cup and the two national yeah. cups. So yeah, so that's a little interesting little tidbit uh, as well. It is. Well, to that's, be fair, I really wanted to Walsall, hear about Marcelo when I was doing at, the research. Walsall, um, Colin Lee at the time was manager, and he was at, he just asked me, you know, he needs he just needed a striker to hold the ball up and get in the box and um, set things going. And Marcelo was an ideal person to do that because that was his game. And um, as I say, he fell out with a few people at, at Blues at the time, so he was ready to move on. And he came to Warsaw, I think, on loan for the end of the sea till the end of the season. But yeah, great guy, great guy. Now, Martin, before we get back to your club career and more specifically Birmingham and more more importantly, actually, the future of Birmingham and the present, we did want to ask you about the Cayman Islands because <laughs> the fascinating thing about you is that you actually have two app, two appearances, two caps for the Cayman Islands. Now, I heard that there was some kind of um, controversy about eligibility or something. This is what I read online about that. I can't pretend that at the time I was aware of this when, when you were playing and I was watching you on TV, but was that as idyllic as it sounds 
Sw- it it was, switching up Birmingham for Cayman Isles. What was it like yeah, over it there was, and playing for them? Well, it, it was weird because I had an agent um, who um, got in touch with my agent and said, look, um, would March be interested in going to play for the Cayman Islands? Right, okay, yeah. He's eligible, he can go and play. We'll get him on a flight, we'll get him, you know, accommodation, blah, blah, blah. So I remember um, because it was a FIFA-sanctioned sanctioned club, Cayman Islands sent Birmingham City a, a, a request to release Martin O'Connor to go and play for the Cayman Islands. So when Trevor come and said, seen me and said, look, we've got this request to go and play in the Cayman What's what's it all about? And I explained, and we had some, we had two crucial games during that week as well. Um, I think one of them was West Brom and Jam, which is a local derby here. And um, But because it's, it takes pre- precedence, you have to go. So I said, yeah, I'll go. So the, the, got me into Heathrow, flew out, got into Miami, got a, a lovely little plane out to Cayman Islands, was met by a great guy. His name was Georgios um, on, in a cab. I remember his name now. And he drove me to this beautiful hotel. It was beautiful blue skies, blue sea, white beach. Um, and he says, oh, eat some kit. Just give me some shorts and a T-shirt and whatever. He says, meet, meet in the reception. Uh, training's tonight. So, I'll, right, OK. Long flight and that. I'll, I'll go and see what they're doing. So we played a little keepy up on the beach for about an hour and a half. That was my first training session with Cayman Islands. And you're thinking, wow, OK. Yeah, right. Met all the boys. And we had a normal training session the day after. And we was playing Jamaica. I'm um, in a friendly and two of my mates were playing for Jamaica, Michael Johnson, who played for Blue Jamie and Dion Burton, who was at Derby at the time. So we just met up and had a coffee in the in, in, in a little coffee shop in, in Cayman Islands. And we played in that evening. And normally there's like 100, 200 people going to watch um, Cayman Islands. But there were 6,000 in the ground. Wow. For a friendly. Wow. And it's, the, the difference was unbelievable. Um, obviously we Why lost is that, is that because they week. knew that you were coming over and because the, the well I don't think just because of me gonna, well I, I don't know I'm not going to take the glory and say it was just because of me no but um, you know I think Jamaica being Jamaica they were the reggae boys and things like that I think it all added to the yeah. to the pot of getting more people out there and they had marketed it and advertised it really well um, yeah and there was there was about 6,000 in the stadium and um, we lost really Last minute, I think Dion Burton scored. We lost one nil, and of course that gives everybody confidence, and we're going to kick on. And um, yeah, I mean, and then we went out. I went out again. They called me up and to play a friendly against, I think it was uh, Washington DC in a friendly before we flew to Cuba to play a World Cup qualifier. But in between the the Washington DC game and the Cuba game, FIFA had, had an obligation. Some some country had. Um, made a remark and obligated about, you know, not bringing players in from the from the English league and blah, blah, blah. And before that, they dealt with that, that court case, if you like. We couldn't play. So we prepped up. We'd done all the preparation to fly to Cuba and go and play. But me and a guy called Dave Barnett, who was an ex-Blues player as well, um, we couldn't travel. Uh, Barry Hales, who played for, for Fulham, was out there as well to pl- play for the Cayman Islands against Cuba. And FIFA wouldn't sanction the game, wouldn't sanction our taking part in the game. So they had to take the, norm, the normal players, if you like. And we were stuck back in the Camelons for about a day before we flew back to England. Huh. No, that, that's very, very interesting how those yeah, th- things work out in like developing nations, such as the yeah. Cayman Islands and, and football terms, how it all bureaucratically can be yeah. um, complicated. But yeah, no, it's a very interesting story going and playing there and having a coffee with Burton and, and Johnson. Like that, 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 that must have been fun. 
when you got over there and you met Georgios and then, you know, everything went from there. I'm, I'm, I'm forgive my ignorance, but what do they speak over there? Is it do they speak English in the Cayman Islands? Was everyone yeah, speaking it's English? English, American. Yeah, I mean, if you ever been, to, the Cayman Islands is a fantastic country, beautiful, but it's quiet until the yachts come in, the big cruise liners, and then it's busy, it's chock a block, and everything's buzzing. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a as a nation, a football nation, it's really really quiet. Um, a guy called Gregory. I haven't spoken to him for a long time now, but he used to keep in touch with me. He was a goalkeeper in the Cayman Islands. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those places where you're only going to go once, but I went twice. So for me, it was fantastic. That's, it's just a fascinating um, situation. And what, where did the eligibility come from? Was it from your dad's well, side or your mum's side? Yeah, yeah, it's from my dad's side, but because Cameron Islands was once ruled by England, um, if you had a British passport, like if you got a British and you played football, you could you could go out there, um, but they closed the loophole and we could we you know we was unfortunately we wasn't able to play for Cameron Islands anymore. Okay, that's a, it's an amazing little story though. Definitely, it's a crazy it's great. story. I had a great time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can absolutely um, imagine. Um, and speaking and kind of bringing it back, kind of circling around back to Birmingham City, we spoke about um, the League Cup against uh, Liverpool in 2001 and reaching that final. Um, it would, after getting promoted to, to the Premier League, Birmingham City would, would remain in, in the Premier League, kind of ups and downs, but uh, a team that would um, was able to have a presence in, in the First Division of England up until they reached another League Cup right before they got relegated back to the Championship in 2011, where they beat Arsenal at Wembley. Um, as a Birmingham City, uh, someone has an affinity for, for the club and the experience getting to a final. How was your personal experience watching Birmingham City finally um, breaking through and getting that first title since since 63. And uh, I'm going to be totally honest. Uh-huh. From when we got to, to Wembley, the alcohol was flowing. <laughs> so, you know, watching the game, drinking, and just you know enjoying the celebratory yeah. atmosphere of Birmingham getting to a final against Arsenal, the mighty Arsenal. Um, I can honestly say, towards the end of the game, I obviously I knew Blues... We're doing well and blah, 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 blah. But um, when Albi Femi Martin scored, we, it was like a mad rush. Yeah. And just all like, sort of collapsed on each other as we going down. And um, It was a fantastic day. Honestly, a great day. Well, I can remember, if I'm being honest. But um, as a fan going down there, as an ex-player going down there with all the other fans um, and a few of my friends who I worked with at the time, it was fantastic. And obviously for them to win, um, it was a fantastic moment for me. You know, because you knew, like you say, and when you got an affinity with the club, you want them to do well, you want them to succeed and be successful. Um, and to, to, to beat the mighty Arsenal, who were, you know, a fantastic team at the time, was a overwhelming favourite in that game. Yeah. Exactly. Unfortunately, that year they went down as well, got relegated Blues. But you look back and think, wow, it was a fantastic day, um, great atmosphere, fantastic occasion, and we brought the cup home. Yeah. I think you'd trade that though as a fan. It's similar to Wigan when didn't they win the FA Cup and go down in the same year? Yeah, two years yeah. later. As a fan, actually, yeah. I'd rather win a cup and go down. Hundred percent. Yeah, there's a few fans said that. Relegation right? for yeah. five. You know, I'd, I'd rather have that. But yeah. that being said, you know, since the the glory days, things have you know kind of may maybe some fans might not say that anymore. Now maybe they would go back and yeah. trade it. I wanted to ask you. It's been five years on the trot now that they've been really up against it, real relegation. Yeah strugglers what do the club need to do to turn things around and at least get back to that kind of 
fighting for the playoffs every year. Because I think that's yeah. where they belong at the very least is they should be yeah, yeah. fighting to go up in the championship. I think some some of the things that I thought should have happened have started to happen, Craig. You know, the, the brought a manager who knows the club. They brought a manager who knows English football. They brought people in who know how to win games. And Birmingham, unfortunately, over the last five years, have struggled. You know, change of ownership, managers not working out, the squad rotation not working out. So managers coming in, bring their own players. It doesn't work for the manager. Manager gets a sack. Another manager comes in, gets rid of those players he brought. So it's been a bit of a mess, man, um, mismanagement, in my opinion. Financially, they've not been able to be competitive to get the right type of players to, to sustain their championship um, position and then um, be competitive to, to you know to, to go in the playoffs or even go up automatically. So I think at the moment, it's stable. The club's stable. Um, Lee Bowyer's come in and had a great end of the season. Um, but clubs, in my opinion, like Birmingham City, shouldn't be floundering you know, fighting relegation season after season after season. The fans will tell you this. But there's a lot of optimism at the moment around Birmingham City um, and the football club. They can see what's going on and they like what's going on. It seems that the club's a bit more transparent now. There's not, there's, you know, there's, there's no more secrets. Everything's out, out, out in the open. So that's a good thing cause to get the fans on board. And Craig, Birmingham City is a fantastic club, you know, with an unbelievable um, fan base. And when you get that club going... You know, it's like a, a snowball effect. It will go and go and go. And hopefully this is the start of good years, successful years for Birmingham City. I hope so too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and these t- 10 years since, since that League Cup, since uh, Martins was doing the the, the somersaults on, on Wembley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they, they played the Europa League, of course, because even though they went down since they had won the the, the League Cup, they obviously qualified for their first uh, European uh, experience since they, um, yeah. well, ever, actually, because when they won um, back, back in the day, it wasn't, well, they, well, again, yeah, they did play the Ferris Club, the Intercity Affairs uh, yeah. uh, Cup. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, but yeah, it was it was a big experience to to get to the Europa League, play around Europe, play a few games. Marlon King was uh, was a, a the striker back then, scoring all the goals. Almost got back uh, um, promoted thanks to Chris Hutton, who I think did a fantastic job in that season and just missed yeah. out barely. And then and then came the, the next few years, right? The next few years where it didn't quite click up until and I think this is like the the moment that stands out within these ten years where they haven't quite gotten their act together was with Gary Gary Rowett, who personally I find to be one of the most interesting coaches that I've um, experienced and, and, and over and, and more than that, more than experience listen to, I, I always pay close attention to people and managers, especially in press conferences and like not just what they like show um, on the pitch, but just kind of what they represent and kind of the effect they have uh, on teams. And I think Rao is someone you played um, with also at Birmingham City was someone that at the end, it got kind of sagged and really controversial in a very controversial way, but that really left a like nice positive mark for Birmingham City and yeah. made them competitive in the championship. Yeah, I mean... G- when I played with Gaz, Gaz was always a, a good professional, and I think he was always going to go into the coaching management um, career. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think when he, because he knew the club, and when he knew the, when you know yeah. the club, you know what it needs. Um, and he had a fantastic couple of seasons where, again, got very close. Um, he was building a squad and a, a, an environment that was destined to go in the Premier League, in my opinion. But for whatever reason, he, he fell out with. And the powers that be in, in the boardroom, and uh, you know, he, 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 he had to move on. And I think that was one of the big things over the last five years, which dented Birmingham's um, 
development, if you like, as a yeah. football club to get to where they want to get. And Gary Monk come in and he seemed to be doing all right. And then he fell out with the board. And, you know, we've had um, two foreign managers since then. And I think now there's more stability and there's more um, uh, enthusiasm towards who's, in the, who's at the, the club now and the players they've brought in in the summer. So it all looks good for me at the moment. But... You know the the proof is in the in the pudding, shall we say? So when the season starts, they've got to start. You know, they've got to hit the ground running because very quickly, you know, fans can lose that that enthusiasm they had at the start of the season and, and pre-season, and you find yourself struggling again and, and fighting um, relegation. Where hopefully that's not going to happen for for, Blue, for Blues. But speaking of the fans, you, you mentioned them there. They'll be back this year. I don't know exactly the rules, if they're going to be allowed in full or if it's going to be 50% or something, but they'll be back. Do you think that's, that could have a good impact, though, on, on pushing the boys on and, or holding them accountable? Yeah, I think, Craig, over the last 18 months, obviously the pandemic has, has wiped out you know everything. So, I, luckily, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a senior scout for, for another championship club, so I, go, I, I was going to games. And to be a football player... And play, you know, in closed behind closed doors. It must have been horrendous. But when you when the fans are back in every football club at every stadium ground, it's got to be better because that's football at the end of the day. So I'm hoping with the fans behind the team that that Lee Bowie is trying to to build and create, um, that must give them a push. It's got to give them a push to to go and achieve what he wants and what the club think that they're going to get. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's going it's to be interesting. And Bowyer being, a, as well as Raoul was, um, a former player. He was a, in the team yeah. that won the, the League Cup. I remember the whole run and like the semifinals in particular against West Ham and him being a really, uh, really huge presence in, in, the, in that team and getting to the final winning against Arsenal. That, that was something that I'm sure really intertwines really well, as you were saying before, knowing the club and just kind of get, getting yeah. the feel right and the culture right uh, will be very interesting to see how it develops. And, and again, the the proof will be in the pudding, as you as you said uh, before. Yeah, I think it, you've got that sort of allegiance with the club, with the fans, and the fans will give you a little bit more leeway, if you like, because you're an ex-player, uh, and he was a good player for Birmingham City. So you know he's done his groundwork at, at Charlton. Yeah. He's learned the ropes, if you like. He's coming to he's, for me, he's coming to a bigger club than Charlton Blues, are a bigger club, and he's got to he's got to you know got to get successful, and success for me. He's not, he's not fighting relegation this year. It's going to be pushing the top half of the table, and it's slow steps. And you know he's not going to come in and uh, and getting the you know the top six at the end of the season. It'd be great if he did. I can't see that happening, but it's small steps. And I think now they've just got to be competitive throughout the season, Birmingham City. Speaking of former players, um, solid pros who were always destined to coach. You yourself have had some stints coaching at. Hales Owen, Warsaw. I know you probably get asked this all the time, especially by Blues fans. But is there any possibility in the future that they could see you in some way working with the club? It doesn't mean being the head coach or even being in the yeah. initial backroom staff. But is that something that you're open to in the future, having a role there or help? Maybe you already yeah. do. It's that cryptic thing you said earlier. No, I think I think Craig. What, what you have to, you never say. Anything. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a good career, football career. My coaching career is, is taking to me, taking me to various places. I'm off to to Madrid on Saturday to coach for oh, nice. ten days with some American players. So yeah, I mean, I never say never. I think at Walsall, I was asked to go back, um, assistant manager. 
it didn't really work out for me because as assistant manager, it's tough because you've got a manager who manages the team and you, you try and put your, your points across. And if they don't get across, then obviously you get the sack and that's what happened. And then my, my a friend of mine got another job at Walsall, Dean Keats, um, played for the club, took me back in and, and again, relegation, if you like. And um, yeah, it's sort of, it's wetting my appetite to go back in in some capacity, but it's just the, the timing and the right position. Um, I run my own academy back in back here now, so um, that that keeps me busy. So it's just a, a matter of balancing everything out and, and seeing if there's any opportunity for me to go and um, you know put back into the game, which I which I took a lot out of. Yeah, and before we get into your academy that you mentioned there, yeah, um, you have you have been coaching as you as you mentioned, and you coached at Hills Owen and at Walsall and at different positions, and now you are a senior scout at Bristol City. How does that compare, and what is like the most interesting and what you find the most fulfilling within that role that you currently have at Bristol? I think um, when being in the game for thirty years now, you know. I think I know a good player from a bad player. Um, and so the responsibility of me from Bristol City is going to look at players who they think that I might like for the for Bristol City's um, for team. And if they fit into the way Bristol City play and their philosophy and the environment they create. So that gives me a lot of responsibility. Um, so I want to go and watch players. Um, yes, there might be potential players. So there might be young players, 18 plus, or there might be, what we call red flag targets that Bristol City really want. And I've got to sort of do due diligence on them and see if they're good enough, if they're fit enough, you know, and things like that. So it's, it's, it's very fulfilling for me to go and watch players one or two at a time and think, yeah, they're a good fit for Bristol City and actually put my name to that player. And then he comes to Bristol City and he does well. It sort of shows that you know what you're on about, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, there's some players who I go and watch who just don't fit the, um, the criteria that Bristol City work under and play under and that changes with obviously managers um you know i work for uh, i've worked for a lot of managers when i was at brighton pr previous to to bristol gus Poye, mm -hmm. um he was a really good manager who, you know he, he had a good eye for players and he, he sent you to watch players who you knew were good um so yeah i think sammy Huppier then came in and um wanted a different type of player so your, your philosophies of, of what you thought was a good player for, for brighton at the time had to change because the manager changed and it's happened at Bristol City now. Nigel Peterson's come in. Um, the players were looking at for Lee Johnson when he was manager of Bristol City. That, that sort of player profile has changed because we've got a new manager. So everything changes. So, yeah, it, it's good. You know, I'm, I'm out watching live games. Um, I'm out watching, I'm, I'm, I'm indoors watching uh, video games sometimes. So um, it's a varied, a varied career job, but I love it. It's football. That's awesome. Sounds, it, it does sound, it sounds like an amazing job, but your other job that I want you to tell us about finally is the Martin O'Connor Education and Football Academy. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there, what it means to the community, um, if there's yeah. any way that maybe people from here could get in touch and, and yeah, make yeah. use out of that? Well, it, it's, it started off as a bit of a um, yeah an idea because I'd worked in this kind of uh, environment for, Bristol, for, for Birmingham City and the opportunity to, come for, to purchase a, a company, uh, an academy locally, and I took it. Um, we've been going now seven years. And what we do basically, Craig, is we take 16 to 18 year old guys um, and just give them a and try and try and make them better people and make them employable. So we run a sports studies course. It's a full time course. The, the guys study every day. We train every afternoon. We play games in leagues 
um, and we try and create that academy environment um, and try and make them better people, but try and um, give them a, a sort of a step up to, to go on to, to university and study rather than, you know, just um, sort of going to sixth form colleges and schools where they're probably not interested, but football's a vehicle where we can get them interested. And the sports studies um, course we run isn't just about football. It, you know, it opens up doorways and pathways to sports industry, you know, physiotherapy, um, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, coaching. So we try and give them um, more options when they finish their education with us to go into the to, to the you know the big wide world and um, and find a career that they they're going to enjoy for the rest of their lives. Yeah, no, absolutely, and no, that's that's a great uh, cause and kind of a great uh, philosophy to to bring into that. Um, before we go into the last round of like fire uh, rapid fire questions that Craig has prepared uh, for us today, we do have a couple of questions from listeners on Twitter that sent them in for for this episode. First off, me too. Uh, I've got some over here as well, just so you know. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, uh, first off, uh, my good friend Anton, um, listener of of the show, that um, it has a like uh, multiple questions instead of the same tweet um, he says in what ways do you think football has changed over the course of your career also what is your view uh, what is your view of some of these changes and in your view have they been positive or negative for the game overall um, I think money's come in um, and changed massively the game and um, the football's still football but I think money is part of football nowadays so you have to you have to deal with it um From a fan's point of view, it's getting more expensive to go and watch that the game you love. Yeah. Which I think there should be some kind of um, way of trying to um, soften the hit that fans have to take to go and watch games. And I also think with the money in the game now, it should filter down to grassroots more and quicker and more of it. Um, but yeah, I think the game now is more global. Um, it's more marketable. It's more there's more advertising. Um, but if you're a purist like me, you still like the game. Um, to be football and not just about the money. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And also, Anton asked, kind of, we, we touched on your coaching experience and now your scouting experience and your life, your life posts uh, playing uh, as, as such. But um, uh, he says, uh, what, do you, what did you learn as a player that you found useful as, as a coach and then kind of your overall like, life after, after football and kind of adop adopting these different roles we touched on? Well, every club I played for, um, I was made captain. Now, I, I always look back and probably because I've got a big mouth and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But obviously, um, I hated to lose. And looking back, probably I did lead by example. So it, it, it reminds me that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of um, proactive. Um, I'm, I'm a team player. Um, and I like to win, I suppose, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, again, that real that competitive edge kind of drives you, and it is one of those things that really d differentiates people and the people that really are able to to make it within the game as a player afterwards, be it as a as a coach or, or scout. That that motivation, that drive, really really uh, makes yeah. all the difference in the world. Craig, exactly. So I've got two questions from um, a friend of mine too. This is a Birmingham City podcast, but these are Warsaw related questions. So the first one is. How would you say Warsaw has changed as a club since you were there, since you were playing there um, rather than your playing days? How right. has it? Okay. I mean, it's changed um, in a bad way, I guess, overall, but more deeply. Yeah, well, Warsaw's always going to be a family club. It's always going to be the club that I look for every result, you know, every Saturday. I think, um, obviously, with the change of ownership, 
Um, there's a new chairman coming there with new ideas. That's going to take time. There's a new manager going in this summer. That's going to take time with a new squad rotation and a new squad strengthening. But I think if it sticks to its fundamental beliefs, the way Walsall, everybody knows Walsall Football Club to be, it's got a chance. Um, again, it's a, it's a well-run club. It's a well-supported club if it's going right on the football pit field. And I think at Warsaw now, they've got to be a little bit more transparency, like Blues are doing with their fans. I think Warsaw have got to open up a little bit and allow the fans uh, and tell the fans, you know, what's going on and what's their ideas and expectations. And I think, you know, the fans and the club will, will grow together in harmony. The second question from Rob is that you mentioned that as a scout, you probably can tell a good player from a bad player. His question is, is, is or was Darren Rack as good as Jimmy Walker said he was. Right. They're both my mates, Darren Rack and Jimmy Walker. Um, <laughs> so I've got to be careful. But Racky, on his day, was a really good player. Wack, if you ask Wack, he was the best keeper in the world. So, um, yeah, I think both good players, both good teammates, both good friends of mine. Um, and for once, and probably only once, I'm going to sit on the fence on that question. <laughs> That's a good decision. <laughs> yes. Both childhood heroes of mine as well. So, right. I remember, okay. Remember watching them every week after playing with the junior saddlers. We used to get oh, in for free. Yeah. I think they used to take us along after yeah, playing yeah. free. And you had Rack, right. Keats, Walker, all them, all the That's greats. It. Yeah. Um, but I do have, as Ander mentioned, a few quick fire questions for you. So the idea is to say the first thing that comes to your head, but feel okay. free to elaborate a little bit and tell us why, if, if you like. No worries. Okay. So who is the best player that you played with at Birmingham? Again, it's difficult wow. to get in trouble, I suppose. Yeah, um, that's a that, that's a good that is a good question. I, I'd have to say Michael Johnson, um, mm. centre half, fit, strong, quick, funny, really bad dress sense, <laughs> got no rhythm, but a great lad. <laughs> Lovely. Um, what's your favourite memory of your days playing there for the Blues? Um, walking out um, the second leg against Ipswich um, to get to the final. Um, it was, as I said earlier, the, the ground was rocking. And I never got nervous before any games, never, you know, didn't suffer from any stress or anxiety before games. But I've got to be honest, that atmosphere that night sort of like, you know, um, I'll never forget it. It was a fantastic, fantastic evening. Now, I'm sure that you got on well with all your teammates when you were there at the Blues. I'm sure you keep in touch with a load of them. But did you have a best mate when you were there? Uh, you know what? No, no, I got on with every one of my teammates. There's a few I'm not going to mention who, yeah, we sort of had a few squall, you know, quarrels and stuff, but generally I got on with all of them. And as a captain, you know, you, you can't really have favorites, and I got on with all of them. So, no, I, no best, best favorite teammates, but all of all my mates, all of them are my mates. No, that makes sense. Good answer. Who do you think's the best player? in the Blues squad right now? Who should the fans be most excited about going into next season? Well, uh, it would have been easier, you know, a couple of months ago, Jude Bellingham. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think if you look at Blues, I think Scott Hogan um, should hopefully have a good season this year because he's, he's under a good manager, the building a squad. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Scott Hogan at the moment, I would say, um, should, be the, should be a standout player for, for, for Birmingham this season. And who would you say has been the best manager they've had in the two decades since you and Trevor Francis left? Well, I think Anders said it. I think Gary Rowett 
did really well at, at Blues, um, and for whatever reason, obviously it didn't it didn't work out um, great. But I think Gary Oates at the time did really well and stabilised the club and brought a good squad, and they were hard to beat, and they looked like they were they're doing really good things. Oh, that's awesome. And at the buzzer, a new question has come on come in through Twitter uh, from Luis Gamon all the way in uh, Valencia, Spain. He asked, uh, how would you describe the rivalry between Birmingham City and Aston Villa? I know your playing days at Birmingham, they weren't able wow. to reach the Premier League and play a second city derby. But how would you overall describe yeah. what, what, that, what the derby is like and how it feels like? Yeah. I've, and I only played him one in a friendly. Oh, and in a that friendly. Was fierce. Wow, in, in a, friendly. a friendly game pre-season. <laughs> Pure friendly. Fierce. Yes. Yeah. Um, the fans hate each other for one day. Mm -hmm. The city divides into two for one day. The players hate each other for one day. Um, it's you know when you look at the Man, Man City derby, Man United, and, and Arsenal, Tottenham, and, and Rangers, Celtic, it rivals those. Honestly, it's so intense. Uh, and there's a sort of like, I'm, 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 it's a bit strong, but there's a hatred between the two sets of fans. Mm -hmm. And that's what fuels the game and fires the game up to be. And normally the games are not really spectacular. Um, but the, the, the actual atmosphere for that 90, well, leading up to it, the week leading up to that game in the 90 minutes is unbelievable. It's fantastic. Awesome to hear and awesome to like your, your um, on like description of it. That, no, that's really, really interesting. Um, Craig, do you, anything else or should we wrap up? No, I was just going to say, Martin, it's been an honor to have you, a genuine honor as a local lad. Obviously, I've, you know, grown up um, knowing all about you and hearing all the stories and everything like that. So it's been it's just amazing to meet you and have you on the show. Before we go, is there any I mean, the Bur the Blues fans are probably a little bit down in the dumps now after having a few tough years. Could you give them a little pep talk as we go to the music? Right. Okay. well. If you if you know anything about blues, they've got a um, a fan song. It's called "Keep Right On," and you have to keep right on to the end of the road. And I think the end of the road is still far away for Birmingham City, but they will still sing that song because that gets them through, you know, the mediocre times. But I think it's going to get them through now the the better times with what's going on at Birmingham City at the moment. So keep right on, Birmingham City fans. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much, Martin, and enjoy your time in, in Madrid. Thank you. Thank you for the invite, guys. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Sportico's Football Series podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen to us, and above all, share it widely with friends and foes. We want to be listened to by anyone and everyone. And don't forget to head to www.sportico's.com for news and statistics from the world of football. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at sportico's.com. You can follow myself at Craig Sportico's. And me, you can find on Twitter at Anders Hoffman, at Anders Hoffman altogether. You can also email the podcast at show at sportacos.com with anything you'd like to send us. With all that being said, thank you so much again to Martin O'Connor for being here with us and to you, dear listener, for coming along for the ride. See you next time. Podcast Network.